Good morning. How are y'all doing? I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> so there's this movie called Forget Paris. Has anybody seen it? Deborah Winger and Billy Crystal. It's a cool movie. And at one point when they're married, her elderly father comes to live with them. And he basically drives Billy Crystal absolutely nuts for two reasons. One, because as they're driving along on the streets of L.A., I think it's L.A., the father reads all the signs out loud. <clears throat> Everything, like just constantly, you know, from one side to the other. You know, A&W, burgers for, you know, whatever, da 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 He just has a steady stream. And then when they're at home, when she's at work, and the Billy Crystal character is there, and they're making breakfast, the father's fixing toast, and he keeps a steady thing going of just of a jingle. Only he tries to change the inflections of it. So he goes, you got it, Toyota. You got it, Toyota. You got it, and he just keeps it up and keeps it up and keeps it up. And Billy Crystal's just sitting here like this. I thought of that because I think it's a perfect example of saying out loud what is best kept inside. <laughs> if at all. It's also a perfect example of what I call stream of unconsciousness. It's talk that just seems to happen of its own volition all the time. Literally all the time. And this morning I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about the voice inside your head, which is somewhat different than the voice inside of my head, but probably not so much. It's one voice, and yet it is a running dialogue. You would think with one voice there would just be a monologue, but no, no, no. It will play both parts. It will argue with itself. It's a running commentary, and it is constant, and it just keeps going and going and going, just like the Energizer Bunny. And as some of you may know, um, my husband and I don't live together which might explain why we've been married for 34 years. I don't know, it's just a theory. <laughs> anyway, so every once in a while, my voice inside my head goes rogue and I go out loud, <laughs> which isn't so bad unless it's the dialogue back and forth, in which case I make sure I'm in my own home because otherwise... No, it could have repercussions if I'm having a conversation as I'm walking along the street. But I'm just, I've wondered before, um, what's, so what's going on in there? So what provokes this? And how is it decided? And what, what, how does it pick a topic? <laughs> you know? And is what it's saying right? Is it true? And is it even worth saying, even silently? And for those of you who are hearing or thinking, I don't have a voice in my head, that's the voice. 
and right now I am teaching a class on meditation. And one of the first things that one typically talks about in meditation is the voice, the thoughts, the chatter. And initially, when I first started studying, they, the instructions were to empty your mind. There was not a high chance that that was going to happen. <laughs> then it's about noticing the thoughts, but not attaching yourself to them. Or it's suspending what's going on in there, knowing that you can go back to it. Or a whole bunch of other stuff in between. The idea is it's the, that there, it's the voice. And one of the basic tenets of science of mind is that there is only one mind and we have access to it, and this is not what they're talking about. The voice is not what they're talking about. The human mind, with all its repetitive over and over again stuff, is not what they're talking about. It's talking about the one life, the one mind, the truth of every single one of us. It's talking about that which observes the voice. And there is that which does. See, we, are, we teach that we are birthless, deathless, eternal beings. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. My human experience is that for most of us, we forgot the spiritual part. And one of the reasons that we have forgotten that is because of the voice. We have forgotten and we typically identify with the human experience and we think that the voice is us. Not only does it have information that is vitally important for us to know, but it is what we are. And the purpose of meditation and the purpose of so many books that are out there, including this one, is to awaken our awareness, our consciousness, to who we are. Who we are is not the thoughts that occupy our human mind. We are not the voice, but don't we think we are? Don't we tend to believe, or am I the only one? We believe stuff that goes on in there. We identify with all the chatter that is in our minds, in our heads, the voice inside our head. And you think we get bored after a while because it's pretty much the same stuff. <laughs> and yet. So for the next few weeks, we are using this book, which is, oh, you don't need to see that, do you? This book, Untethered Soul, it's just a lovely, lovely book. It is not so much to me that he's saying anything different. It's the way in which he says it. It's just beautifully clear and it's, it's, just, it's just a stunning book. And I'm going to read you a quote from it. There is nothing more important to true growth than realizing that you are not the voice of the mind. You are the one that hears it. If you don't understand this, you will try to figure out which of the many things the voice says is really you. People go through so many changes in the name of trying to find myself. They want to discover which of these voices, which of these aspects of their personality is who they really are. And the answer is simple. None of them.
The voice talks to release energy when we are upset or unresolved about something. The voice tells people off, scolds people, and the voice typically is speaking to us when it does that. And much of the time, we're on the receiving end of whatever the scolding is, whatever it is saying. And it's pretty much the same thing over and over again, regardless of circumstances. And the voice will also talk just to be talking. And it narrates what we see. An example of that is this. I was going to make my own, but it was too embarrassing because I had one on the way in, but I thought, no. <clears throat> it's the only one I've ever had, but you know. <laughs> See if this sounds, feels familiar at all. Look at that dog. It's a Labrador. Hey, there's another dog in that car. He looks a lot like my first dog, Shadow. Whoa, there's an Oldsmobile. It's got Alaska license plates. You don't see many of those down there. <laughs> now, is this vital information? <laughs> Obviously not. And yet, in the larger picture, it is somewhat comforting. And the reason it is comforting, I think, is because, and this is, I'm just saying this this week, I might feel differently another day, but I really have come to believe that as human beings, there's not much we know. We really don't. We don't even know what's going to happen in the next minute. We are hu spiritual beings having a human experience, and as humans, we have no idea what's going to happen. We really don't. And it's uncomfortable to the extent that we believe that's who we are. Because we want to know. And we don't know. And the voice narrating can create an illusion of control. It's the running narrative is an explanation of what is happening. And most of us, speaking just for myself, I up until recently, have really needed an explanation. If I just had an explanation, then it would be okay. Even if, even if you know, what I needed an explanation for was just a really crappy experience or something that was very hurtful or very painful, I just thought, I really did for d years. If I just understood, if I just had an explanation, then it would be okay. Then I would be okay. And then I wouldn't have to go, I have no idea what the heck just happened there. I don't know. Because I believed that what I was thinking and what I was experiencing and my feelings were who I was. They aren't. Reverend Larry typically or often will um, tell you the promise that's in a particular book. And I'm going to do that because it stood out and this book does have a promise. He says that true personal growth is about transcending the part of you that is not okay and needs protection. This is done by constantly remembering that you are the one inside that notices the voice talking. This is the way out. The one inside who is aware that you are always talking to yourself about yourself is always silent. 
the one inside who is aware that you are always talking to yourself about yourself is always silent. To be aware that you are watching the voice is to stand on the threshold of a fantastic inner journey, and here is the promise. If used properly, the same mental voice that has been a source of worry, distraction, and general neurosis can become the launching ground for true spiritual awakening. Come to know the one who watches the voice, and you will come to know who you are. So this is our job, if we're willing to accept it. To really get that the voice in our head is not us. I think it was Ralph Waldo Emerson who said, 95% of what goes on in my mind is none of my business. <laughs> so the voice in our head is not us. The one who hears it is us, not the one who hears it and then has a rebuttal. The one who hears it. If it's a rebuttal, it's the voice. And the cool thing is, the second that we watch the voice, the second that we observe that the voice is talking, we become the witness. And the second that we become the witness, we become a witness to something. And the second we do that, we're not the voice. Because you can't be the thing you're listening to and watching the thing at the same time. And one strategy that he has in this book is to view the voice as a really annoying roommate. <laughs> you know, the one that reminds you of how you messed that up and how you're about to do it again. The one that reminds you that you said this guy wasn't good for you or this girl wasn't good for you, but now you're going to do it again. You know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And see, the thing is about this, too, that when we do that, there's the roommate and then there's us. It's not the same, it's not the same thing. And all of this is a journey to who we are because who we are is not our thoughts. Who we are is not even our experiences. Who we are is not stuff that's happened to us since we were born. Those are experiences, and they're no more us than our thoughts or the voice or the roommate. And I like this example because I remember it and because I had a startling experience, which I'll share with you in a moment. But he uses the example of, say you're 10 years old and you look in the mirror. And who do you see? You see a 10-year-old. And then when you're 15, you look in the mirror and you see a 15-year-old, and if you're a teenage girl, you started at 12, and you're looking 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, whatever, constantly. But I remember, you know, looking in the mirror at 30, say, and seeing a 30-year-old. And now I look in the mirror, and this is what I see. Well, so then who am I? Was I the 10-year-old or the 12-year-old? or the 30-year-old, or the 62-year-old? Who's, who's seeing that? You know, who's looking? 
the viewer is still the same, it's still me. What I'm looking at has changed. God, how it's changed. But, <clears throat> but I'm still me. So deductive reasoning then tells me that I'm not the 10-year-old or the 30-year-old or even the 62-year-old because the body, the face is changing, but I'm, there's something that is the same that keeps looking. And if I'm the one looking, then I can't be the something I'm looking at. The minute I do that, I've stepped out. So my mom turns, gosh, she turns 82, I think, in March. And she emails every day, which is hilarious because she didn't have anything to do with the computer until she was 68 years old. My sister gave her one of their office Macintoshes, and my mother at 68 taught herself how to use a computer. And then at 75, she uh, self-published a book. And she does these emails. She emails, we keep in touch, usually by email, nearly every day. <clears throat> so a couple of weeks ago, I got my hair cut. And those of you who are women, and maybe some men too, will know what I'm talking about. I don't always like my haircuts right away. You know, it kind of has to grow on you, so to speak. I loved this haircut. I loved it when I'm sitting there in the chair. I loved it on the way home. I loved it when I got there. I'm like, this is just, I love this haircut. This is awesome. I'm going to take a picture and send it to my mom. But no matter, no matter how many pictures I took, I'm sitting in front of my computer snapping these pictures, and I look at it, I'm just getting this old lady with a wrinkled neck. <laughs> Who the heck is that? <laughs> and I'm embarrassed to say I took at least 10 of them. <laughs> and then finally it was like, well, I'm not going to send my mother a picture of somebody neither one of us knows. <laughs> See? I mean, I'm not just in denial, I swear to God. That isn't that doesn't feel, I see, I, I get it, I see the face, I see the body, it doesn't feel like me. It, it just doesn't. Because I'm the one that's watching. You know, this, I can watch this in the mirror, these reflections change and change and change, but there's something that's watching that doesn't change. And Singer calls this the lucid self. And for those of you who know me, I know. I just said I was lucid. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> Have you ever had a dream and you knew you were dreaming? It's like watching a movie. And this, my experience of this is kind of like that. It's like I'm watching a movie. I'm lucid. I know it's a dream and I'm watching it unfold, there's an aspect of me that's not in it, that's, that's watching it. And it's actually bigger than an aspect, but it, it, that's my experience of it. And have you ever noticed that when you are interested in something, whether it's a TV show, something you've TV'd, or a movie, or, or a book, or, or a piece of artwork, whatever it is, that you can become so engrossed and so focused that you see, that you don't notice anything around you. And it is focus. 
It's our innate ability to focus. We came onto the planet with it. It is our awareness choosing to focus on a specific thing. And the cool thing about that is that we can use that technology to focus on anything that we want. It doesn't have to be a zone out thing. We can choose what we want to focus on. And typically, it seems as if we focus on, well, our own drama for one, which can be absolutely riveting, at least mine has been. <laughs> and it's familiar. Our own drama is familiar because, well, it's ours. <laughs> and unfortunately, because it's pretty much the same, it's like a rerun. And the more that we watch it, the more real it becomes to the point where we identify with it. And we are so focused on it and so absorbed in it, with it, as it, that we think that that's who we are. And somewhere along the line, we have forgotten. And I really do believe that we can be very seduced by what looks like life. We really can. It draws us into the point where all our attention is there and we become so absorbed by it that we identify it and we think that that's, that's, that's us. The thing is that our absorption, our focus, if we put it one place, we can put it someplace else. Because obviously the technology's there. We've been using it for a long time, many of us. Some of us not so much, the younger, but we've been using it for a long, I've been using it for a real long time. So, um, Try this with me, if you would. Um, we're going to do this thing, if you would close your eyes for just a moment. And just for a second, um, become aware of your thoughts for just a moment. Just become aware of what's going on in there. And then try being aware that you're being aware of your thoughts. You can open your eyes now. This usually takes practice, at least it did for me. The thing is, the minute that we do that, first become aware of our thoughts and then become aware that we're aware of our thoughts, we become the watcher. And now there is what in quantum physics is referred to as a subject-object split. You are the subject looking at an object. You are not the object. Most of the time, we lose ourselves in the object to the extent that we have forgotten the subject part. And so the split dissolves. And we identify with everything that is going on not just around us, but internally. Everything. Because we have so immersed ourselves that we have forgotten. And practices like meditation, like 
being aware of your thoughts and then noticing you're aware of your thoughts, practicing that assists us in pulling back out and becoming and recognizing and sensing and feeling that we're the subject looking at an object. And the thing is that consciousness is just consciousness. No one person has more consciousness than somebody else. Some people seem to be a little more aware than others at times. But we all are supplied with... Consciousness is just consciousness. It's everywhere. Mostly we just aren't centered there. We're centered out here or in something that happened last Tuesday or Tuesday a month ago or a year ago or whatever. I mean, we can do that. I know I can do that. So it's a question of being centered. And the moment we are centered, we can not just remember but begin to experience that we are the subject. Feeling feelings, um, remembering experiences, um, watching. But we're back here. We're observing. Which isn't to uh, make our experiences any smaller or less significant or anything. It's not about that. It's about putting it in perspective, for lack of a better term. And in a bigger sense, it's about getting back to remembering who we are. And we're bigger than all of that. We are more than all of that. It's like um, with the camera, using one of those panoramic deals, and pulling, pulling it back so you can get the wider view. So I'm going to close with a quote from Singer again. If you go very deep, that is where you live. You live in the seat of consciousness. A true spiritual being lives there without effort and without intent. Just as you effortlessly look outside and see all that you see, you eventually will sit back far enough to see all your thoughts and emotions. All of these are objects in front of you. Behind all of it, there you are. You can go so deep that you realize that's where you've always been. At each stage of your life, you have seen different thoughts, different emotions, and different objects pass before you but you have always been the conscious receiver of all that is. You are behind everything, just watching. That is your true home. From that seat, you are aware that there are thoughts and emotions and a world coming in through your senses, but you're aware that you're aware. That's who you are. Let us pray. And so in this moment, in these seconds of remembering, I'm remembering that there's only one of us here. There's only one. 
eternal, birthless, deathless, perfect love, perfect mind, perfect intelligence that has always been and will always be. And because it is, everything else is. Everything exists, emerges as a result of this one thing that I call God. And so because it's all that there is, everything is made up out of it so that everything and everyone contains all that stuff that is God, everything. All that beauty, all that truth, that wisdom, that intelligence, that love, everything. We are organically infused with it as it. And so I speak this word for and about every single beautiful being in the sanctuary this morning, affirming and knowing a willingness to entertain the possibility that that is the truth of you. That who and what each one of us is, is perfect, is brilliant. And that nothing we can say or do can diminish that in any way. That the truth of every single one of us is God. I affirm our willingness to use the technology that we have to create the lives that we want to live. Fully aware, fully conscious, so that we can love and live brilliantly in the truth of who and what we are. And I'm grateful to know this. I'm grateful to know that every single one of us is here on purpose, with a purpose, that we're supposed to be here, and that we are beautiful and that we are loved beyond measure by that which creates. And in gratitude for knowing that, I release this word, knowing it's done. I let it be, and so it is. Thank you. Thank you.